Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell West. And this uh, time, it's, it's blazing June, well, actually slightly drizzly June just at the moment, and uh, we are doing a bumper episode all about the history of an important bit of the English past, which has influenced the rest of the world more than many people know, and how it can be used in games, because that's what we do. That's what we do here, games. Uh, before we dive into that, I would like to thank Brian Parker for dropping some money in our tip jar. Uh, thank you, Master Brian. Thank you. And if you would like to uh, be acknowledged on the show, and indeed encourage us to keep doing this stuff, paypal.me slash rogerbw. This is a new section, a bit of an experiment, which um, I'm thinking we will call a gameable world, or a gameable history, or gameable sagas, something like that. Uh, your contributions will be usefully noted, it's a, which is to take a period of history, preferably one that hasn't been done much, or if not overdone, in uh, role-playing games and go through the history and see what we could use to adapt it to our particular needs and to find stories and uh, ideas that are gameable, that can be used and put in front of a bunch of people who will then do something that history never had any idea about doing. So, first of all, if only because I did it for uh, for A-level, I'd like to propose taking a look at the English Civil War or the War of the Three Kingdoms, as it's uh, more modernly called by historiographers. I should say my credentials for this are distinctly less impressive than that. Um, less impressive than, than a 50-year-old um, A-level. Yeah, 50 years ago, they, you actually had to know something for them. No, no, no offence intended to, to uh, modern students, but have a look well, at some of those old papers and be scared. Uh, no, um, I was at the time. I was. T- <laughs> I, I, gave, I had the canonical, standard, very boring history teachers, uh, who did their best to make the subject boring and largely succeeded. It was only really once I started meeting people who knew history, and clearly enjoyed it, that I started taking interest in it myself. So. I don't really have the rigorous background that people do with more conventional educations, uh, but I, 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 I do deep dives on things when, when they well, interest I, me. I've been doing a, a deep dive since I retired on uh, aspects of the, of the Civil War and the Restoration, mostly for gaming projects, and discovering how little I knew already. <laughs> um, should, my, should we summarise for relatively historically inept? Well, alright, I was going to I was going to do a, a riff on the on the history of the of the of the period and the big conflict that we're mm. talking about. Okay, I um, I I should say that whilst my teachers were not trying to make um, our course dull, 
they were following a certain sort of orthodoxy and using Christopher Hill's Age of Re Revolution, which is, if you look, look at a, a narrative history, um, a history of the people and of the events, then you won't find much connection uh, between it and Hill's um, concern with the developing bourgeoisie and and that sort of thing. He was a Marxist. And, oh, gosh, it was dull. And, oh, gosh, I, I don't understand what he's going on about now, and I didn't, I didn't understand then. So I'm going to, uh, being, uh, being an old-fashioned rebel, I'm going to talk a bit about the pers to the personalities that led up to it and um, what the people thought they were doing at the time, which involved a huge amount of racial, I'm sorry, not racial, a huge amount of religious bigotry. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's fair to say... Some racial subtones with regard to yeah. the Irish, but... Uh, fr from a role-playing point of view, I think this is probably a more right place to start, because while you yeah. do need to know what the big movements are, a, the typical role-playing game is me and him. Yeah, and them, and us. Yeah. And the... All right. The, the person I'm going to start with is James the, the Sixth and First. <laughs> All right. Uh, James was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, and he was still an infant when Elizabeth of England uh, executed his mother. And he had been left by her in the charge of the nobles of Scotland. And I think it's fair to say that he did not love those who taught him uh, the ways of the world, educated him, educated him very well. He was something of a scholar. And... Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and taught him about God and religion and what have you. He had no love for the Presbyterian Church, the Kirk that his uh, that his countrymen had embraced very strongly. And when, in due course of time, um, Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth died and had no heirs, he had been uh, courted by Elizabeth's courtiers to come down south, accept the crown, and keep a continuity of government. And in due course, rejoicing, he did. There, there is uh, valid... I, th I think if, if you look at the various things Henry VIII said about the succession, uh, he, he is a valid candidate on that basis as well. Oh, I mean, yeah. this, this wasn't just his, our neighbouring king, let's have him in. No, um, he, uh, Mary was Elizabeth's cousin. I forget, I forget the exact na nature of the connection. But uh, uh, amongst the royal thrones and royal courts of uh, Europe, you couldn't throw, throw an egg roll without hitting one of your cousins if you mm. happen to be royal. Um, and no, he was... The, the line of succession from Henry had tapered down to, to Elizabeth and somebody had to be found. And he is a prime example of what Dr. Johnson said about the happiest thing a Scotsman ever saw being the high road down to London. He didn't go back to Scotland much. He had found Scot the Scots Lords and the Scots Parliament hard to deal with, and he rather liked um, uh, the, the 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 praise, adulation, and general respect that he got down south. Not as much respect as he wanted, but I'm not uh, sure that would have been possible. Well, quite. Um, but but he he did have a taste for attractive young men who would tell him how wonderful he was. Well, yes, he did. Um, he, he, the evidence of his sexuality is... There is no evidence 
there's no there is no strong evidence uh, that that he preferred male company to female. Oh, from from a from a uh, sexual point of view, I'm not sure it really matters. The problem is, he 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 liked people who told him how wonderful he was. I, and he, he, he like he liked good-looking uh, uh, young men who would flatter him uh, on whatever subject and tell him tell him he should go ahead and do the thing he was thinking of doing, which is uh, not necessarily go- good for him or good for the kingdom. It should be noted that his son Charles the First, who we're going to come on to in a minute, had the same problem, but without the simpering over the over the pretty young men. He he did have a specific other problem, which we'll come on to. Okay. Um, but but James wrote two books about the nature of monarchy. Uh, the what was it called? Oh yes, the True Law of Free Monarchies, which is a long philosophical theological piece, and the Basilicon Doron, the Royal Gift, which he made, wrote for his young son Henry, another one who didn't uh, live to become king. Yeah, um, this, is, this is one of Charles's as, as, problems. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much how much he, being the younger son uh, screw, screwed up Charles, but being exposed to his father's theories about the nature of monarchy and the nature of obedience certainly did. I'd like to point out that this, though there had been praise of the king as divine or semi-divine and chosen by God for centuries, this got reinvented, re-emphasized and taken to ridiculous lengths in the wake of the wars of religion. It wasn't so long since a king of France had been assassinated and the the kings of of Western Europe were busy bigging up their uh, their divine appointed nature and don't you dare to touch the head that has been anointed. Um, and James... I'm not sure if he believed it as much as his son did, but he certainly said it a lot, mm. and he and he wanted. That, to there's be... an obvious political um, angle to this. If if your factions are becoming the king and people who aren't the king, yeah. Uh, well, the factions are becoming the king and the king's court, and the people who are not the king and want things the king does not. In other words, Parliament. James managed Parliament just about um, he didn't like them but he managed them mm. and then Charles came to the throne so as I see it Charles's first problem is that from birth to age 12 he was brought up as well we're not worried about you you're the second son spare and then his elder brother died so you know I, I have no idea what Henry Frederick might have been like as a king no. but uh, he was brought up from birth to it, as opposed to we're not really too worried about you. But yeah, um, and and uh, Ch- Charles had specific problems dealing with uh, Parliament, in as much as Parliament had had a change of culture. There was a growing. Uh, well, th- th- this I think is not a sudden thing. Um, and no, if, if you no, go true. looking for it, you, you can really see Parliament gradually increasing in importance from the early days of here are the people whom the king is required to consult because Magna Carta to the tax raising powers and that and mm. so on and so on. And basically, that 
the king is still, at this point, nominally in charge and in practice largely in charge, but he cannot really work without Parliament, as we will see. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure, I'm not an expert on the nature of the Scottish Parliaments and how they differed from the English English Parliament. Yes, standard disclaimer, we are both English. Okay. We tend to think of England first. Yeah, but the... uh, the idea that the king needed somebody else's permission to do the things that were necessary to rule the country was, I think, by this stage, getting to be anathema the, 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 to the king and uh, to his closest supporters. And Parliament not only felt resentment about the um, about about the uh, imposition of taxes. It was also very much wanting to impose a new religious settlement on the country. Puritanism, the purifying mu- movement of uh, of the reformed church for for the reformed church, of getting the last traces of uh, of papacy, because everybody knows the Pope is the Antichrist. Any- but but also, you know, we, we've had the Reformation, and that that is. Is it barely within living memory? But certainly people have heard heard stories about it. But what we have now is an established church which actually looks an awful lot like the old church, except it's more in line with what the king wants. Yeah. uh, There are still, uh, as far as Rome is concerned, and as far as the Anglican leadership is concerned, there are still important and significant differences between um, the Church of England and Rome. But there are, but the, the ferment of the uh, of the Reformation hasn't died down, hasn't ended. There are the Scots have taken to Calvinism with um, uh, at least the Lowland Scots have taken to Cal- Calvinism with an enthusiasm that, that I cannot account for, <laughs> and uh, um, and there are, are plenty of divines on the continent who want to uh, who want to take things further. Now, and, and in the memory of the of the Protestant lords and the Protestant commons, are the are two important events: the reign of of Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, whose whose murders are an execution of uh, of Protestant clergy are slightly exaggerated but lovingly detailed in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And a, a work attempt- of propaganda, let us not forget. But yes, uh, yeah, it was a fact-based propaganda. We'll come back to propaganda and what it uh, and what can be established a bit later. And the other event is the is the is the gunpowder plot, which uh, the attempt to blow up James and and the rest of Parliament um, at his at his at his first gathering of Parliament. Yeah, that's a, r- a is, really interesting thing. It's it's a side story which we, which we won't go into, and uh, probably better people than us have done it anyway. But it, it rests on the idea that English Catholics, give, presented with this situation, would rise in revolution. And nobody seems to have been actually preparing the ground for them to do this. Well, uh, I, I would point you towards John Brown at Harper's Ferry. He was mm. convinced that the, the, the Negro would rise and uh, join his revolution if he could just get to the arms. And he was he, he was probably more detached from reality than the gunpowder plotters were. But he believed firmly and uh, uh, that, that he, his cause was just. 
and righteous, and he just had to do the courageous thing. As we will doubtless say repeatedly, may the good Lord preserve us from, from men whose cause is just and righteous. Yeah, oh boy. The uh, uh, So, we've got Charles, and we've got him struggling with Parliament. They want um, They want religious reviews, they want controls on taxation, and they don't want to give the king what he wants. The first emergency when he's forced to call Parliament, and it doesn't go well, uh, there were probably some before this, but the one that's, uh, that's closest to our, part of our narrative is when he tried to impose the Book of Common Prayer on the Scots-Kirk. And well, discovered... on everybody, but the Scots-Kirk particularly Kirk. objected. Well, yeah, it, the, 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 the English were used to the idea that kings would issue Books of Common Prayer. Um, but the, but Jane, but Charles wanted... Um, I mean, let, let us, again, for context, remember that the, the book known as the King James Bible is it's that King James. He, yeah. He, there, there is recent history of this stuff. That was his controlled um, sop gift to the, to the Protestant um, reformers to say, well, all right, you can, have, you can do a new edition, but take all, out all the uh, Calvinist stuff. <laughs> that's in the Geneva Bible. I don't want to see any of that, laddie. Um, and um, and it's uh, I, 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 as far as I think, as far as he was concerned, it was a political move, yeah, more than a pious one. But yeah, uh, J- James was, is counted amongst the blessed by by people in obscure churches in Texas uh, just for that. But uh, but Charles wanted the Scots Church to have bishops, and he wanted to it to observe the same sort of liturgy as, as happening down south. And when he tried to impose that, well, it started with uh, uh, a woman in the in the aisle of the cathedral uh, listening to the bishop read this out, picking up a, uh, her, her joint stool and throwing it at him. And then things got really riotous. <laughs> and, and, and Charles goes to the parliament and says, give me money to, uh, to go and fight the Scots. And he, and they say, Good old Jenny uh, uh, they say, let's have, uh, uh, let let's discuss our um, uh, our, our um, grievances first, and from then on, it all starts getting sticky. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but uh, let's just say that Jane, Charles Charles now was not very good against the Scots, and. Um, and the Parliament didn't get all that it wanted, and Charles decided to go for a period, 12 years I think it was, of personal rule, in which he used all of his best advisers to squeeze money out of the country without having to call Parliament, which just ratcheted up things for the next stage. Yeah, because most taxation was within the control of Parliament, but there were certain things that were royal prerogatives. I'll put in show notes, by the way, various links to things like the Bishop's Wars, which is the period we're talking about here. Yeah. uh, There is is more theory than... uh, than, uh, There's more custom than theory and more theory than practice in uh, constitutional law in this time period. And uh, Charles, Charles squeezes hard. He squeezes the Irish especially hard sending the Earl of Strafford, who used to be a parliamentarian, as his, uh, as his viceroy across there. 
um, and making and, make, and making early experiments in what I think is called joined up government. So Strafford was regarded as a tyrant by the Protestants in England, which is weird because the Catholics were the ones who had reason to complain about him. And the uh, Parliament also disliked Archbishop Lord, who uh, was the High Church. He was the he was the definer of the High Church. Um, and yeah, I, he, I think this is pretty much where the concept arises. That, yeah, that there are these different strands that can, to some extent, talk to each other. But I, I think part of the problem here is that you've got an awful lot of people who are wary of anything that smells like Catholicism. And, and and here he is reintroducing the the big ceremonial stuff. Yeah, and that smells it, a lot like Catholicism. And uh, yeah, the I, I, and and there's uh, one of the odd facts of history is that um, Archbishop Lord added the bit onto the end of the Lord's Prayer, "For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory, forever and ever." Amen, uh, which distinguishes the Protestant uh, reciters of it from the Catholic reciters of it, and yet he got executed for being too Catholic. Mm. And Parliament started feeling its, uh, its oats when the king found himself again in the need of more money, much, much more money, because the Irish rebelled. And this is the bit I was talking about about earlier, the bit of propaganda. You'll never know what propaganda, what is propaganda here and what is reality. The numbers of Protestant settlers. Oh, we forgot to mention the Protestant settlers. <laughs> the uh, uh, the Stuarts, both of them, had been taking uh, people, mostly Presbyterians, from Scotland and settling them in Northern Ireland, creating plantations and taking the land of the nomadic Irish um, there, and generally oppressing excluding and rendering into second-class citizens uh, the Catholics of that part of the world. And, as I say, eventually the Irish revolted, and we will never know precisely how many people were killed. There isn't a lot of archaeological evidence to support the numbers um, that were reported as absolutely certain um, at the time. But Probably quite a lot. A lot. Sufficient for the king to be concerned. And the king goes to Parliament and Parliament starts saying, no, no, not until you've uh, dealt with our, your, our grievances for the past 12 years. What's this about ship money, eh? And, what, and what, uh, what's this about tonnage and poundage, eh? And, and what's so, about... Yeah, ship, ship money is, is an example of the sort of thing that, that is ill-defined. Uh, they, they had traditionally been a, an understanding that coastal counties would provide something towards the navy because they, or they obviously directly benefit from it uh, Charles came up with the innovation of asking inland counties as asking inland counties as well which which was you know you, you couldn't point to a thing and say no that's not how it works but it had never been done before and people got understandably resentful yeah um, and, particularly uh, since oh, it clearly wasn't going to go towards ships <laughs> no, no more than the national insurance goes exclusively towards uh, social security and health. The uh, uh, and oh, and there was the selling off of, of uh, forcing people to become baronets, which was a, a very enjoyable procedure. Mm. 
Um, if you look, you look rich enough to be a knight, would you like to become a baronet? And when I say, would you like? However, this is the point at which things start start getting uh, really, really sticky. The king uh, was forced to uh, permit. I think I think it was Strafford, his the Earl of Strafford, his viceroy in Ireland, who got impeached first, and then Parliament came for uh, Archbishop Lord. And at about this time, I don't know the precise sequence, the king said, sod this regain of soldiers, and took his court and his followers up to Nottingham, was it, and and called his nobility to provide him with the traditional um, aid and support in the form of men-at-arms and uh, regiments and what have you. It's... It was taken as an omen afterwards that the king's banner, when they put it up, um, kept being blown over. Um, and several years later, it was. Now, we cut at this point. At this point, the king, the king's chances looked good. Um, he had uh, more experienced generals. His nephew Rupert of the Rhine had fought um, in the Thirty Years' War, which was going on on the continent at that moment. Uh, and uh, and he'd got rid of his less useful followers, like the second Duke of Buckingham, um, who had a habit of going and making futile assaults on the uh, on the continental forces if you if you gave him any money at all. <laughs> but as I say, uh, he had advantages. He had more men. He had more um, he had more money at the start, and somehow. Or other, over the next several years, he pissed it all away. I remember reading somebody describing him as going up and down the country, falling into traps that nobody had laid for him. Hey. And, well, and, I, I, I cannot remember which historian it is who described this incident as the man who attempted a coup d'etat of a country he was already in charge of and lost. Yes. You, you expect... But but command and control was not well defined in that period. I mean, it was, but by with several different conflicting. Well, it, it, um, it's mostly you know, I I am a rich man. I raise a regiment. This is my regiment, and, and, and I will, the king can you know, the, or the general, whoever can give advice. But it's my regiment. Damn it! Yeah, that was all right. So we cut back to the other side, and we come to Cromwell. And Cromwell is the other major personality here, and it's—and I never really understood him. He was one of those people who—he was a born-again Christian. He's one of those people who had a conviction of his own immense sinfulness and disgustingness, but who had been born again, and whose strength of individual religious conviction was enough to use it and drive the the rest of his life. But re really, not all that much in sympathy with the Puritans, and certainly not the Lovelace. He was on the side of the Independents. Um, the Independents were were willing to see toleration towards nonconformist congregations, uh, the people who uh, were following their own Reformation. Damn it! And the Presbyterians wanted a similar form of. Um, church and organizations no damned bishops um I, I think it's worth saying that 
unlike the royalist side, which is largely the king and selected nobles who, who supported him, yeah. the parliamentarian side is very much a coalition of people who don't actually have a whole lot of interests in common other than opposition to the king. Yeah, like, like many revolutionary movements, you know, one side is for change, the other side is for stasis. If what you want is change, you jo- that's the side you join. Yeah, and eventually, um, after the king has been defeated once, escaped, started the second civil war, negotiated with the Catholic rebels in Ireland to give them um, uh, uh, the right to practice their Catholic faith. And and then been defeated uh, again. The Irish never did get across across the uh, the, the Irish Sea uh, to join his cause. But the but the negotiations looked devil inspired to the uh, uh, to the parliamentarians. After he let, was let, defeated, let us not forget. You know, the King of Spain is sitting out there. He he has already offered his daughter to Charles on condition he become Catholic. This is before Charles becomes king or gets I, married. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but his eventual wife was Catholic and therefore anathema. Yeah, she she is actually an, another part of the problem because this is uh, Henrietta Maria. Um, she has been brought up. Well, I mean, at the court of the King of France, obviously, just about when Richelieu is very much in his ascendancy, hmm. and she, if possible, did, believed in divine right even more strongly than Charles did. Yeah. And there, there is a specific thing which I didn't really notice when I first learned about this, but became very apparent when I started meeting people who, who suffered from the similar problem, which is that Charles always agreed with the last person who'd got access to him. Yeah, that was a major reason for the lack of success. He had really good generals. I mentioned Rupert of the Rhine, and Rupert would explain to him, "This is what we want to do. This is the sequence we want." You to, uh, want, we, we want to do it in, and then somebody else will come along and say, actually, I'd like to take my regiment and go and do this entirely different thing over here. And... Jolly good. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Now that sounds remarkable. I'm sure there'll be no problem. Was uh, Yeah. I'm not sure whether it was general agreeableness, a lack of memory, or or what. But, but I, I, have, I have met people who were otherwise apparently reasonably normal people who had exactly the same thing. Like, they would, you know, if you could nabble them on the way out of the meeting, you could completely change what they thought they had decided. Yeah, useful as a manager if you're the only one who has access to them. Yes. The uh, anyway, as I say, uh, after after being uh, defeated twice in two separate civil wars and being sold back to England from the uh, by the Scots who he had taken refuge in with the Scots and English were in uh, alliance. The Scotch Presbyterians and the English Presbyterians were in alliance, but it was one of those sticky alliances. And it, uh, well, as with the, the parliamentarians in general, a lot of it is alliance of opposition and alliance of opportunity. Um, the, the Scots wanted to dictate what England's further reformation would look like, and that proved easier to agree to in principle than to carry out. But eventually, as I say. Charles, having been sold back to the English, was in a castle on the Isle of Wight, I think, still attempting to escape, still attempting to uh, pass secret messages to people and to disrupt. And Parliament, what was left of Parliament after several purges, uh, one major purge and lots of people dying, 
said, well, that's it, we're going to have to kill him. There was great reluctance to do this. I mean, we've talked about the divine right on the royalist side, yeah. but a lot of people believed it to some extent. Yeah. And you know, th th this is a blasphemous act. But when Charles, knowing his correspondence is being read, writes to the King of Spain saying, yes, yes, I will be quite happy to convert to Catholicism the moment your troops set foot on, on English soil. Send them, send them as soon oh, as you can. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, uh, his grandmother had been executed for much less by Elizabeth. The, uh, and the unique thing, the new thing here, I think it's new in the history of humankind, is that they gave him the form, at least, of a trial, at which he defended himself ably, de uh, demanding to know what the, or by what authority uh, that, that he, the king, was being put on trial when kings and subjects are quite, quite different things. But they knew they had to do it, and they went and did it, and then we had the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth was an attempt by, eventually, Cromwell to create a new and better government, but it wasn't built on anything like democratic or republican theory, though it was called a republic. It was an it was a theocratic attempt at a theocratic state. And which... an awful lot of people felt that they ought to have a king, just not that particular king. Well, yeah, they, but, they offered it to Rupert, Rupert's older brother, Carl, who would have been frankly a disaster. <laughs> there were worse people than Charles in that family, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. The but the well, but Cromwell made himself Lord Protector, a title that had been used by regents and what have you in the past, and became king in all but name and the full ceremony. Um, but what you got was an attempt for him to call righteous and pious men to uh to to, to be the uh, uh to be the members of parliament and i think uh, we could go on at great length about how badly that failed and then eventually ended up with a bunch of um with a with a bunch of um major generals running uh, the districts of the kingdom by that time scotland had been united with england for forcibly by cromwell and the Irish had been pacified, forcibly, by Cromwell, which we won't go into because people still feel feel strongly about it. I would just like to po point out that one, one of the slightly odd things that I later realised about my teaching of the English Civil War was that this was mostly done by an Irishman who regarded Cromwell as the best thing ever. Catholic Irishman or Protestant Irishman? Catholic. Catholic. Because he, he created so many martyrs? It's not, not at all clear. No. Um, we, we should say that, you know, as so very often with English history, we, we fall back on Suller and Yeaman. Yeah. Uh, who, who summed up the sides as the, caval uh, the Cavaliers being wrong, but romantic, and the uh, Roundheads they... as being right, but repulsive. Was they called roundheads because they had roundheads? Or did they have roundheads because... Never mind. No, they were called roundheads because they cut their hair. Unlike, right. unlike your nobles who, ha who had long flowing curly locks. I'm reminded of Heinlein saying that your hair should be uh, long enough to absorb the blood from a scalp wound and not so long that somebody can grab hold of it in a fight. Uh, roundheads was, was originally an insult and remained an insult. It, it was an offence in the New Model Army to call somebody a roundhead. 
Uh, Cavaliers Caval- started as an insult, but they thought, yeah, all right, let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> a cavalier a cavalier being the sort of person who comes round and uh, and wrecks your restaurant or um, or just possibly your farm in the po- in the uh, in the process of exercising their noble their noble functions. And maybe they will maybe they will leave you 20 bags of gold that are vast, vastly more than it's worth or maybe they won't. Yeah. The So after everything we end up with a commonwealth which is not a happy period of time for many people. There is an imposed Presbyterian um, settlement in the church. There is the banning of Christmas, amongst other things. Um, I, 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 I tend to, to rail against the banning of uh, stage plays more than I do against the banning of Christmas, but that's just me. The And eventually, when Cromwell dies and his, his good son, his good first son, who might have been competent, has already died, there's a lot of that going about in this story. Um, uh, and his second son proves utterly useless. Uh, they ask for the exiled son of Charles to come and be a proper king again. He, having previously fought the third tranche of the English Civil War after his father's execution, thoroughly lost but had the sense to bog off. Well, he, he, he was good at hiding in trees. That, that, uh, that, was, that was one of his char- uh, character traits. And, and, and hiding with sympathetic nobles with young wives. Yeah, uh, many of whom became duchesses later on. Mm. So, so there's a bare, a bare out, outline: a blasphemous deed, a religiously inspired civil war, um, and and confusion everywhere. Now, taking all this, there are three ways we can treat it. Yes, I think so. Well, there are many ways, but br- three broad categories. First, we can say, um, let, what could we uh, play where could, in a realistic, um, historical uh, game? I think Rolf there's... Gangrene. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, all right. Uh, roll for play. Uh, the roll for dysentery a lot. In, mm. in, uh, there are... The, the, most of it is civil war. Civil war is warfare. But there are plenty of opportunities for um, spying. High Wycombe uh, was halfway between London, which was the parliamentary capital, and Oxford, which was the um, which was the royalist capital for most of the war. And uh, and I, I, I imagine it as a den of uh, of of conspiracy, sin, and iniquity, um, a hive of of scum and villainy at that time <laughs> period. Um, and well, I, I think the, I think espionage games are uh, are a, are a, are a good basis. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a good for fit this. for role playing in general. Um, being part of a great big army is not particularly fun to play. I think for most people. Yeah. Um, what we've got, I think, that makes this at least the first real time in English history this has happened. Uh, yeah. You, you look at something like um, Stephen and Matilda. And that, that is basically an argument over, I should be king, no, no, I should be queen. And yeah. there, there is no... I mean, you, you can say, I, I think one side or the other has the better right, but you're basically not arguing about fundamental concepts. Whereas okay. in this, you, ha- you have the whole religious issue. And that, in English history, I think this is one of the first times you really do see brother set against brother. 
you know, yes, you know, my, my town may have declared for this side, but I cannot in conscience stay there and I will have to go and join the army of the other side instead. Yeah. One of the, yeah, but at this at the early stage, all of the uh, theorizing is religiously based. Um, and, and there is the moment of the Putney debates where somebody <laughs> at least says, look, this, this, it, it's either one of the great missed opportunities of, of history or it's something that the left wing discovered um, centuries after and blew it up a bit. But there, but when the um, uh, when the a king was imprisoned on the Isle of Wight, I think for the first time, um, the discontented um, members of the New Model Army, uh, Cromwell's army, which he had in which he'd created the first proper modern military discipline in England, anyway. Um, uh, who had who were complaining both about their lack of um, of back pay, which continued to be a problem until Charles II came along, and um, and about their lack of representation in the new order that Cromwell was planning to put together and impose after everything had been resolved. And there, people actually debate whether who should have a vote, whether anybody who is um, not landed should have a vote and somebody says a colonel i think that he thought that um the poorest he in england had as much right to vote as the richest he you'll notice that half the human race is still omitted well but, you know uh, if, if they think too hard their brains catch fire uh, I, I i heard never mind but yeah uh, uh, intellectual women were not uh, or independent women were not highly valued, even if they, when they were the queen. But um, uh, but but this but all the real theorising about political systems comes after this. As a result of this, people start talking about uh, about base, the basis of the law and the necessity for authority. And who should have authority? The, these uh, are things. After it, it's not that decisions are made; it's that these are things that become, in, in, in the classification of thought, things that decisions could be made about, as opposed yeah. to natural law. Yeah, uh, the, the, they having having seen a fail mode, people were very anxious to uh, establish modes of government that didn't fail, at least in those ways, and. Uh, and that leads to the American Revolution, to the so-called Glorious Revolution of 1688. But a lot of theorizing happens after this. The reason that that they made such a botched job of it, in my opinion, was a that Charles escaped from the uh, uh, from the uh, from the Isle of Wight again, and um, and that cancelled the Putney debates. And b nobody had any experience of this sort of thing, at least not in England. Not for centuries. Yeah, it, it's very noticeable how, how much of uh, revolutions look at other successful revolutions, I mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah. However, before we got... How did we get digressed again? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> all right, all right. The uh, uh, We were saying, all right, so there is the realistic... Um, the realistic, which I think is a game of courtiers and of spies and of conspiracy 
um, rather than direct fighting. Yeah, though, though there is also plenty of opportunity for for a, a band of enterprising men to make their make their fortunes by pretending to be one side or the other. Yeah, you know, uh, g- g- give us all your gold. The army's right behind us in in the most primitive form. <laughs> people were going around slaughtering other people on the streets without being paid. It was it was it was quite an exciting time. Ah, amateurs. <laughs> okay, I think the second mode is that we genre fi it. Um, we put in some supernatural, some fantastical tropes, and see how it fits with the time period. I think I should first of all, in light of uh, of, of James the Sixth and First's no uh, antipathy towards them, I think I should mention witches. Well, yeah, I mean, this this is also when we get Matthew Hopkins and John Stern, who uh, more or less start a witch panic single handedly and then pre- present themselves as the solution. <sighs> Uh, excuse me, sir, for a very reasonable fee, we can go about the country uh, torturing women and discovering which ones some of them are, are witches. Um, just, just sign our authority here, please. I, I think, in, in a general sense, it's a matter of, obviously you could just drop in any bit, any bit of weirdness you like from any game you like, but there are some that will be a good fit to this mm. period, and I, and I think that style is one that you could put you know, actual magical powers you and, and on a low-key basis you could put in quite easily without seriously deranging the history Quest, the interesting question is which side are you on boy are you on the side of the witches or are you on the side of the witch hunters which is more entertaining for one thing I well, mean, that, that, be... that will I think largely define what the witches are like and what they're capable of yeah um, and the uh, and the uh and there is a temptation to include Cthuloid um, witch types. Um, there, there, there is plenty of... Or, or uh, is it the witches who are keeping them down? Yeah. The witches could be the... Um, I, I have an idea about the, uh, about the Watchers... Uh, a Buffy game with the Watchers Council running um, uh, because uh, the king was acting as their patron, tra- having to hide from the witch hunters at the same time as keeping the supernaturals down. I uh, think, and probably some of them being on the other side as well. Yeah, I think the... Uh, it's an interesting question, which side you want to believe to be spiritually corrupt. There, in English society, there's still a divide between um, uh, roundheads and cavaliers, between sealed knot and whatever the other lot are called. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, the, the I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a secret royalist sympathizer. Really, I'm not. Uh, but the. Uh, uh, but but I think I think you you could do it three ways. One that the rumours about um, Rupert of the Rhine having a uh, his small yapping dog being his uh, familiar spirit, for he has made a deal with the devil, which was certainly a major rumour in the, in, the, in the parliamentary forces. How could anyone learn so much as quickly as he did without but, supernatural aid? I mean, obviously. Obviously. Or if you believe that, uh, that Cromwell, uh, another perfectly uh, historical rumour, that Cromwell had sold his soul in order to make himself not quite king. Um... Uh, or whether you believe that uh, there is hidden corruption everywhere and uh, both sides are being tempted by supernatural forces. Uh, uh, to or, do- 
all the religious factions are saying that all the other religious factions are practically the next best thing to Satanists, if not actual Satanists. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're all right. Yeah, nasty. Yes, it's 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 a, it's 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 a great opportunity and a battlefields and chaos. Well, chaos in England was not as bad as as anything as the continental religious wars. Certainly not as bad as the Thirty Years' War. But there was still bloodshed. There were still people displaced. There were opportunities for supernatural parasites like vampires. I would think that maybe you could work fa the Fae into this mm. somehow. How, do, imagine... how do they feel about it? Uh, they they feel like that it's a it's a grand opportunity for cosplaying, <laughs> and uh, uh, and joining up and offering both sides, um, uh, offering both sides their their, their services in, reg in new regiments. Don't ask where these people have come from; they're really very good. We we should say from from a um, military tactics point of view that this is one of the other big shifts because in, in the early stages of the war before the new model army really gets established, yeah, the canonical pattern is uh, a a cavalry charge largely by the by the royalist side, yeah, and they they will go in and smash the parliamentarian infantry, and which they the, did. This is jolly regularly. impressive. What yeah. they will then do is wander around looking for loot. Yeah, even Cromwell can, couldn't reliably keep uh, uh, cavalry from ch chasing after after loot. But he, was uh, he, he did it. a better job. But, yeah. but what the new model army brings in is sufficient discipline that the Pike and Musket Square will at least sometimes stand when the cavalry charge hits them, and at that point they win. Mm. And this this is just something that has not happened before on any sort of scale, to, at least according to the knowledge of the people involved. Yeah. Having a um, having a disciplined, well-fed, well-equipped army. Um, as I say, the, the Parliament never managed to pay them, and it was actually Charles II who um, persuaded. It was counted a miracle by some people at the time. Persuaded the um, uh, the uh, the remnants of the new model army to. Take their their back pay, disband, and go home. I, yeah, we, we've talked, I think, before about Barbara Tuchman's *A Distant Mirror*, which is obviously not about this period. Yeah. Uh, but one of her themes is that the shift from the individual bloke on a horse in a tin suit is the the ultimate battlefield weapon to something a bit more dispersed. Yeah. And there is there is a similar shift here because um, yeah, you start off with you know, no, nothing can stand up to cavalry, and everybody knows that. Uh, and by the end of it, yeah, yes, we can, but we need to be not an individual bloke being brave, but the whole lot of us under discipline, which is a, a fundamental change in military thinking. Yeah, I believe there were there were was there much improvement in uh, in uh, in artillery at this time? Um. Not a lot of development during the war. I mean, obviously, the, the technical innovations of the Thirty Years' War, such as they were, uh, yeah. leaked over. But they, they were, and no, neither side really had enough money for large-scale rearmament beyond your basic raising of regiments. Yeah. So I, I don't think you get a, a technical development during the war that makes a difference other than the whole infantry discipline thing. Yeah. Okay. Having talked about putting... Um... Our uh, 
our favourite already built um, already built genres in there. I actually I've got I, I've got another one which says um, how about the High Crusade or maybe a small scale world war uh, like Harry uh, Turtle Doves with the aliens landing in the middle of the uh, 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 of the of the civil war and both sides having to cooperate. That would be um, that would mm. be interesting. I'm not sure it's worth uh, worth all the effort, but I can I can, I can see some engaging moments. Um, Prince Rupert of the Rhine in space. Oh, we'd love it. Yeah, but let's let's shift over to taking the basic situation and totally uh, using it as a basis for other campaigns in other worlds. Yeah, there, there what can certainly... we extract? I think that, I mean, obviously, in a general sense, that the the administrative administrative innovation that can be at least be regarded as winning the war is not a thing we see in a lot of places. I mean, you, you get a lot of stories where the new wonder weapon wins the war. Yeah, but uh, well, you get a lot of um, of at least I, I get a, a lot of. Um, uh, humans from our Earth bringing the idea of disciplined um, units mm. and showing that that it's possible. Though it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be modern ones? The Romans could have done a perfectly good job, if ha- no matter how unpleasantly they did it. Um, but I think I think the big thing is the breaking of the sacred nature of kingship. I think, to be fair, a lot of role-playing settings, whether or not they're historically prior to this period or conceptually yeah. prior to this period, they're very much in favour of the individual warrior, the individual leader. Because that's a good role for our um, uh, for our player characters. Yeah, and also because of that, that particular pulp inspiration's roots in Westerns. Hmm. Um, so... I think I've had to be a bit careful about that, but um, so, some situation where you know the the enemy is rather than the, the, the standard of they're, they're numerous but not particularly tough in themselves, uh, mm. you could go over to well, yeah, there, there aren't very many of them, but they're frighteningly competent, and the only way we can stand up to them is is to band together and discipline ourselves. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna suggest that maybe you do it with in a world where the 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 monarchs really are different. That they're, maybe they're a superior uh, species. Maybe that the 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 king the king's line are elves, or at least part partly elf blooded. And, and, and in spite of their best efforts, they haven't bred this into more than the higher levels of the nobility. Yeah, so there, there is this there is this strange problem with inbreeding, which they they really don't understand. But um, never mind. The uh, and and the but I think that turns into a nasty race war rather too easily. And the 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 messy problem about what to do with the elves and the half elves afterwards is also. An yeah. unpleasant route to take. I, I think it's important not to read too much into this. As we've been saying, we, we've se- we are seeing the origins here of concepts of democracy and parliamentary rule in English yeah. thought. And obviously, they they had the um, classics to read. Yeah. Um, 
and and, Ita- and and Italian cynics as well, but yeah, but this yeah we 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 cannot say that there really was anything like religious liberty, even if you were on the side that won. Yeah. Uh, Let's not forget the thing that made much more sense to the American Civil War to me and the American South in general. Quite a lot of the Royalists, once the war was comprehensively lost, Mm. went off to, well, essentially become the American South and the plantation owner culture. And the the ones who didn't have the money to do that became the poor white Southerners. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of uh, romantic maundering in the in the southern culture about being descended from the uh, from the cavaliers and the nobles and uh, and having style. God damn it! And we may be wrong, but we're desperately romantic. Mm. Was a tradition that they kept up for quite some time. The. Uh, one other thing I was thinking of um, in fantasy settings was in the in the Commonwealth period, discovering that you actually do need to have a king of some sort or bad supernatural things start happening. And I'm recalling that the Romans had a sacred king, an elected position amongst the priesthood, um, who took care of all the things that the uh, that the uh, actual king did, and I was wondering about a story about a group of people themselves, uh, street rats, who have been chosen by the street rat who has become the the sacred king to be his personal agents, going up against the the unpleasantness that will creep out and murder the good pious people in their beds if they're not taken care of. Or even um, just th- thinking of uh, well, one of your campaign ideas. Or w- once the king is executed, that uh, because of the ma- it, it, it's not a proper, uh, properly organised death and coronation and so on. So, so that semi-divine monarchic power becomes Ooh, fragmented. Yeah. I, that becomes. I think that probably becomes a bit of a seek the mystic uh, doodad uh, campaign as you as you try to bring all the stuff together in order to actually recreate uh, or focus the the power of of the king or maybe do, do we have to focus it on him yes well 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 if we can only stop him squeezing his spots he'll be fine <laughs> uh i think uh, yeah or or maybe you do this you do that one as as uh, mystical um transformers do i mean transformers uh, the uh, the Power Rangers, uh, people who who become the ki- one, the great mighty king, by fusing themselves together at the right ritual moment, mm-hmm. um, which makes uh, move the left arm, move the left arm. <laughs> uh, but for example, how how do you do this in space? Um, oh. Not without too much difficulty, I think. I mean, basic. Oh. Uh, we we have lots of space empires. Yes. What, yes. What, what happens when when the space empire's senate, because they're usually on a more or less Roman model, decides? Hang on a minute. The emperor is the the emperor is clearly not actually. Yeah. Uh, and 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 what about my district? And and what about this and that? You you do need something with with the sole pushing force of religion, I think, to make it work out the way it does. Mm. Yes. And uh, and. 
those sort of settings tend to be deeply depressing, uh, or maybe I'm just thinking of Warhammer, because <laughs> uh, no, oh, and Fading Suns. All right, be fair, uh, because you know there 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 is a sacred function for the uh, emperor. And he doesn't like to talk about it, and none of his advisors like to go into the technical details. Hmm. Uh, but well, we're sure he's briefed his son. Uh, uh, is his son still alive? Uh, oh dear. <laughs> Where's the spare? Where's the spare? Did, did anybody see the spare this year? Uh, he, he's currently r- running his own private rebellion. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to rebellions of uh, of uh, of spares. Uh, when we when we talk about the uh, restoration, <laughs> yeah. The, an, another thing I would like to raise as a general point, and it's certainly not unique to this, is yeah. you can get away with an awful lot round the side of a large nasty war. Um, yeah, Hopkins and Stern are the, are the obvious example here because yeah, if if the country was settled at the time, probably people wouldn't have paid anything like as much attention to them. But they, but they were offering a certain amount of. Yeah, the the world has turned to crap, but here, some of the bad things that are happening to you, we can do something about. Yeah, um, I I think you could get a lot of comic fun out of a one-off in which you are the witch hunters and you don't believe a thing that you've been saying, and now you come across people with real problems. <sighs> you you tried the holy water, you tried the exorcism, you tried to untie to this tying them to a stake, and they liked it. <laughs> and now, and now it's starting to eat your horses. Think of something. Think of something quickly. Uh, I think the, that... Yeah, there are a, cu- a couple of uh, literary references I'd like to make on this. Mm. Um, and, well, there are ma- many, many, many books about this period, uh, but but a couple of bits of fiction. Um, Paul Anderson's *A Midsummer Tempest*. Oh yes. Which is not anything like straight historical. I mean, for a start, everything Shakespeare wrote was true. Historically true, he was the great historian, and therefore, the, you know, this is the Civil War, but they have steam trains and clocks and things. So, yeah, because uh, the Romans had clocks in Julius Caesar. Yeah, but but that that is a um, an effective blending of the historical start plus magic plus fairy. Yeah, with bits uh, with bits framed by via his. Uh, his own a personal multiverse, which was immense fun. I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, the other one I would recommend is Francis Harding's *A Skinful of Shadows*, which I've not read. What's it about? Um, protagonist has has a weird power which she doesn't completely understand, uh, but the the war is kicking off, and she may not want to choose a side, but a side may get chosen for her. Hmm. And like all Hardings, it's just bloody wonderful. On the on the factual side, I'd like to recommend uh, the English Civil War of People's History by Diane Perkis for flavour and the, the the street level view of uh, what was going on. There are lots of good. There's lots of good stuff uh, about the uh, about the English Civil War if you dig around for it. But as I say, unless you're a Marxist, avoid the century of revolution by Christopher Hill. Uh, even if you are, what, what you get, I, I believe, is really more more the Marxist attitude to it than the thing itself. So you, you might well learn something from it, but you're probably not going to learn the primary history from it. Uh, yeah. Um, what I needed when I was studying this 
was the primary history and I never got it and I'm still a little bitter all these years later. If you would like to propose to us some periods of time that you think could um, take a good delving into and uh, tearing apart to make a, a gaming universe, uh, then please contact us via... Uh, leave a message on the website or email podcast at tekeli.ly. And we'll be back in uh, July, just in time for the Americans to celebrate their obscure historical events. I think everybody else is done, man, lad. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got arcane and strange stuff coming out of it, out of its ears on uh, on drive through RPG. Mm-hmm.